Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, this week we're going to get back into the People of God series. We had started this series several weeks ago. We have been basing this series out of Exodus 19. But what I like to do so often is I like to remind us how we got to Exodus 19. What was happening within Scripture? What was God doing prior to Exodus 19 to give us a little bit of context to what, to what is happening and why God would say this in Exodus 19? And I've already said this several times, but I want to give you a quick recap of how the Word of God brings us to Exodus 19. And I don't think I've said Exodus 19 enough this morning. I just realized that as I was talking. I'm like, man, I'm really, I'm really just saying that one a lot here. How, so, back in Genesis, I'm not going to start at the very beginning, but I do want to catch us up to speed. God called a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, God calls and says, Abraham, you will become my people. You will have descendants that number the stars, and I'm going to build my people through you. And the book of Genesis is basically the story of Abraham's family from Genesis 12 until, until the very end of Genesis is, is us seeing the story and, and how Abraham's family played out. And at the end of Genesis, they are down in Egypt. God's people are. Abraham's family, all of them had ended up down there. And then Exodus starts. And you guys probably know this story. God calls a man by the name of Moses and says, Moses, I want you to bring my people out of Egypt. God's people's time in Egypt was not good. They were, within, they were enslaved for roughly 400 years, but God had a plan to come and rescue his people. And we, as, you read, as you read Exodus, you will see about the plagues and the ten come. Well, now they have been led out of Egypt, and they are about three months outside of coming out of slavery. So this is God speaking to his people, about three months after they had left Egypt. And God has these words for, for them. And I want us to stand as we read them this morning. This is Exodus 19. And these are the same words we have been reading for, for uh, many weeks. And, I'm, and I would like to reread them for us this morning. Exodus 19, starting in verse 3, says this. It says, Well, Moses went up to God... The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6. And you, shall be, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let us pray this morning. Father, we praise you. And Lord, as we look to your word this morning, Father, may you come and encourage us and challenge us through your spirit. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we desire to hear from you this morning. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. 
So I've said this throughout this entire series as we talk about the people of God, and I'm going to say it again so that we remember. There is a progression taking place within this scripture verse. The progression is, is that the Lord reminds his people that he rescued them. First and foremost, God says, Moses, I want you to remind the people what I have done for them. That God went down to Egypt and God bore them on eagles' wings and God rescued them. And they are his people. That, that God wants his people to realize who they belong to. That they are his. And we talked about that one several weeks ago. And not only did God rescue them and bring them to himself, God says, I've got a special relationship with my people. God says, all the people of the earth are mine, but with you, I've got this covenant relationship with you. And through this covenant relationship, God tells Moses, Moses, tell these people that obedience is required. And then it goes on, and, and outside of the, the covenant relationship, we are reminded that we are his treasured people. We talked about this one two weeks ago. That God says, listen, you're not just my people. I didn't just save you and rescue you, but you are literally my treasured possession. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at how God says this all throughout Scripture, that his people are treasured and valuable and precious to him. Well, this week, I want us to focus on another phrase within this section of Scripture. So we are his people. He rescued us. We have this relationship with him, this covenant relationship. We are treasured. And then God says this in verse 6. He says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This week, I want to focus in on the phrase kingdom of priests. It's interesting because this is the first place within Scripture that God uses these words to describe his people. If you read Genesis and Exodus up until this point, you will see this word priest come up, but you don't see this idea that God is saying, I want my people, my people to be a kingdom of priests. Now, if you have read the Old Testament, which I hope that you have, and, and if you have been doing the yearly Bible plan that we had talked about back in January, you would have read all through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and all of the Old Testament part where it describes this idea of, of priests. But you might be, be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, why would God say a kingdom of priests? I thought in the Old Testament there was priests and then there was common folks. Have you ever thought about that? That throughout the Old Testament, we will see this progression take place that God says here, I desire my people to be a kingdom of priests. But as you read the Old Testament, that never happens. The kingdom of priests never, never forms. What forms are the priests. God ends up calling Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, and through the bloodline of, of, of Aaron and the Levi tribe, God has these priests and I find this to be very interesting here, that here in Exodus 19, that God says, I desire a kingdom of priests, but how the Old Testament plays out is not that. It's not a kingdom of priests. We see specific people from, from a specific bloodline 
becoming priests. And I want to kind of talk about that here because as you read, like what I said, within Exodus um, 28 and 29, and then once you get to Leviticus, which I think is everyone's favorite book, Leviticus, if you've ever read that, that that's a church joke, so if you're not in on the church world, I'm sorry, that was kind of, kind of a churchy joke, but Leviticus is everyone's favorite book. But in Exodus and Leviticus, God lays out who the priests will become. And he's very, very specific who the priests are and what the priests will be doing. But God's people in the Old Testament, they don't become a kingdom of priests. In fact, we can kind of argue why they did not become a kingdom of priests. And I actually talked about this a couple weeks ago because within Exodus 19, we see God speak these words. I rescued you. You are my people. I treasure you. I want you to become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And then as Exodus 19 and 20 plays out, God ends up speaking the Ten, the ten Commandments. And the people of God, God's people, become extremely afraid of God. God comes down on to the mountain and there's smoke and there's trumpets and there's fire and the trumpets are like just getting louder and louder and louder. And Moses says, listen, don't touch this mountain. You, you will die. The holy God of heaven has descended. And after God speaks the Ten Commandments, the people of God look at Moses and they say, Moses, you, you go to God. We, we're not going to go to God. And and this plays out within Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpets and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near in the thick darkness where God was. The people of God, God had just spoken to them, I desire for you to be my people. And the people rejected God. They said, Moses, we're not going to be as close to God as what you are. So what ends up happening is that, end, is that God ended up setting up the priesthood. If you look at this and how Scripture unfolds, God spoke these words that I desire a kingdom of priests well before he ended up establishing a priesthood. And you might be wondering, well, what was the priesthood for? The Levitical and Aaron priesthood had a couple of major roles that I want to kind of share with you this morning. They were in charge of the sacrifice. Have you ever read Leviticus? I really feel like we should just do a, just an in-depth Sunday morning study on just Leviticus here. I, I really do. It's so fascinating because all throughout Leviticus, God speaks and he says, okay, this is what the priests will do. This is what my priests are going to do. The people have sin. And Leviticus lists over like all sorts of different sins, every type of sin situation, and what the offering for that sin would have to be. And the priests were there to be mediators between God's people and God. 
they were kind of like the middleman to God's people. God's people, they would sin, which they always do. They would have to bring a sacrifice. And the priests would be making these sacrifices, and they would be mediators between the people and God. And I think as you look at Scripture, the reason why this had to be set up is because the people were very afraid of God. They saw this holy God descend. And I'm not saying we would be any different. I can't imagine going to a mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's trumpets coming from who knows where and God is speaking and it's just, it's just this amazing, amazing sight and the fear had taken over and the people, instead of drawing near to God, drew back from God. But the, the priests of the Old Testament was a very, very dangerous job. I don't know if you guys realize this. To be a priest in the Old Testament was probably one of the most dangerous jobs you could have because they, they had to encounter the living God, the holy God, the righteous God. And actually, we see this play out right away. Aaron is called to be the first priest, and through his bloodline, Aaron's first sons, his, his two sons, some of the first priests within the Old Testament decided to make a sacrifice on their own, and they're dead. Think about how that would like establish within God's people. Like, okay, these people are called to draw near, and they die. Like, it would, it would be setting fear within the camp. Like, you can just see the level of being a priest in the Old Testament was a very, very dangerous job. Not only that, they had this place, and we can go into this. This is really just very, like, there's so many layers to this. But, but they had a place called the Holy of Holies. And you've probably read about this in the book of, of, of Hebrews. It really explains this beautifully. But once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. And many times they died because of their sins, because of their unrighteousness. And so what they would do is that they would tie a rope along to his foot so that if he died in the presence of God, they could at least drag him out of there. Can you just imagine that being like that, that, that like priest? Like, uh, so who gets to go this year? All right, well, Bob's up. Bob, I really hope that your life is right right now. That's all I got to say. We're, we're going to be making multiple sacrifices, and they would. And Bob, we got to tie this rope. Remember last year, Dan, he didn't, he didn't make it. But Bob, we got a lot of hope in, in you this year. We think that you can do this one. I mean, it was a crazy, dangerous job to be a priest in the Old Testament, to approach the holy God. And they would make sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices. Well, the Lord established this system. And this system was a system that never really took away their sins. It was a system that was foreshadowing or pointing to a time when God would finally take away the sins of the people. So as you read the Old Testament, it is brutal. And you might be, be, be reading Old Testament right now thinking, man, why, why is this so brutal? Why is, it, why is it like they're constantly making these sacrifices? And it was just sacrifice after sacrifice. I oftentimes think, I wonder, what if we would have had PETA back then? You guys know the group PETA? I sometimes wonder how they would have felt 
about the Jewish people and their sacrifices. They might have been protesting. Don't kill the lamb. We have to. (laughs) But the system of the Old Testament, like I said, it was all foreshadowing. It was all pointing to a time when God would take away all of their sins. That every one of these sacrifices is pointing to God and pointing to a time when the sacrifices would have to be no more. And we find this in God's Son, Jesus. That God sent His only Son into the world, that whoever believes in Him shall never die, but live with Him in eternity. And through Jesus' death, through His death on the cross, it was the last sacrifice needed for the sins of the people. Well, I kind of wonder... About what does this mean for us today? And I want to read Hebrews 10 real quick. Hebrews 10 really lays out this whole Old Testament sacrifice and what Christ has done for us. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11, says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his, for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In verse 15, the Holy Spirit who bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds. And he adds to them, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So I'm trying to help us understand the Old Testament idea of this priest and also what Christ has done. So Christ was the final sacrifice. That there is no more sacrifices for your sins or my sins or the world's sins ever need to be made again. The Old Testament priest sacrifices, that entire system is no more. And I find it very interesting that that at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD or 68 AD, they have never made another sacrifice in Israel. Have you guys ever thought about that? That Israel no longer even makes sacrifices. God did away with that system. And the Jewish people today, they don't even offer sacrifices for their sins any longer. And I would say because of what Christ has done. So Christ came and did and made the ultimate sacrifice. And the priests of the Old Testament no longer have to make sacrifices. But let's jump back to Exodus 19 verse 6. And I want to read this scripture verse to you one more time. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Well, what is this kingdom of priests? What does it mean? Why would God say this? Why would he call them a kingdom of priests? And the system never got set up in the Old Testament. And ended up becoming a specific bloodline and a specific people. If it didn't happen in the Old Testament, 
has God's desire ever changed? Does God desire to see a kingdom of priests today? First Peter. I want to read this to you. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And as you come to him, which would be Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I don't know if you have picked up on this one yet, but Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, and, and 1 Peter chapter 2, identical. Identical words. You are my people. You are my chosen people. You are my, my own possession. To be a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation. It's interesting that what was spoken in Exodus 19 that never came to be within the Old Testament. They were God's people. They were chosen. They were special. They were treasured. But the priesthood aspect never happened amongst the nation. It went to a few. But then Christ comes and takes away the sins of the world. The mediators between God's people and God, done away with. Christ is the only mediator between man and God. And there's a reason why the New Testament never talks about a priesthood in the sense of specific, special people. Because the priesthood is for everyone. That God's people, if you believe in Christ, if you've called upon his name, you are part of this royal priesthood. You don't have to make sacrifices anymore on behalf of people, but God has called his people to be his royal priesthood. Now, you might be wondering, what does that mean? That's a very good question, because that's what I was thinking as I was working on this message. What does this mean? I believe within Scripture, we are going to see a twofold application for believers who are called to be his royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 reiterates everything that Exodus says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. God's people... His priesthood, us, who he calls. He says, my desire is for you to proclaim my excellencies to the people. First and foremost, as God's royal priesthood, as his people, God says, all I want you to do is to proclaim the excellences of what I've done for you. 
Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever, have you ever kind of maybe, maybe thought about, if somebody asked me right now, if somebody just randomly came in or somebody at work came up to you and asked you right now, why, is, why, do, you, why do you claim God as being excellent? Could you talk and proclaim his excellencies? Could you talk about the greatness of God to the people? If you were asked, well, why is God so great? Could you give an answer and could you talk about how great God is and what he has done? And I think that, the, that, that this is so important because we're not called, church, to convert people. You know, oftentimes people are like, oh, I'm, I'm here to like convert the world. That's not your job. That job's way too big for you. You can't transform hearts and change minds. You, you can't do it, okay? You can work on some apologetics and you can get some good tools, but at the end of the day, the only person who changes hearts and transforms this world is Christ. We are just called to proclaim what he has done, to talk about his excellencies, to talk about his greatness, to talk about who he is and what he has done for us. And my question to you, churches, is, is if somebody actually asked you, if somebody finally pulled you aside and said, who is this God that you talk about, could you proclaim his excellencies? Could you talk about how he has rescued his people? Could you talk about how great and marvelous he is? And I think this is a real challenge and a real question because we have to know who our God is because God's desire for all of his people is for him to be known to them. Another role for God's people. And I, this is just a quick side note. This thought just came to me. Have you ever heard somebody say that the Old Testament and the New Testament are different? Has anyone ever like told you that? Like, oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he always seems a little bit different than the God of the New Testament. God's excellencies have never changed. God has always been a God who rescues. That God rescues his people. As you read Exodus, he comes and he rescues them from slavery. In the New Testament, he rescues us from our sin. He is a God who rescues. And we as his people should proclaim how our God is a God who rescues. That he rescues sinners like me. And he rescues the people of this world. The second thing, besides proclaiming his excellencies... So in the Old Testament, the priests in the Old Testament, they had this special access to the Father. And it's true, their entire system was kind of set up so that the priests of the Old Testament had this like special role, this special relationship with God. They, they were the ones who could draw near to God. When the people did not want to draw near, the priests could draw near. And I believe that as God has called his people. His desire is for you, church, and for me to be people who will draw near. Look at Hebrews 10 once again. Hebrews, guys, I'll just say this. If you have never read Hebrews, read Exodus, read Leviticus, and then read Hebrews. It's like it will help you mesh how the Old Testament worked into what Christ has done. It's a beautiful book. 
for us to help understand, well, what was happening in the Old Testament and who was Christ? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let's just stop right there. Hebrews is making this entire argument that in the Old Testament they'd have to do all these sacrifices and only a few select people could enter the holy places. Only a few select people could be close to the living God. Verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. What Jesus Christ has done on the cross and what he did in his death and resurrection is that he has made a way for mankind to draw near to God. That it's no longer a special people. It's no longer a specific bloodline. It's no longer only these certain people underneath these certain circumstances can draw near to God, to the living God. That God desires for all of his creation to come close. And Hebrews lays out that Jesus made that way. That all people can now have access to the Father. And it goes on in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Remember how I said in Exodus, they rejected? We're not, we're not getting close to this God. We're not, I, I, I don't want to be around this holy God. I saw the thunder. This God is holy. This God, this God is a little bit scary to me right now. And God's heart is for his people. Let us draw near with hearts in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews is telling us, you need to encourage one another that this living God desires to draw near to you. Encourage one another. Guys, God desires to be close with you. He's not a God that is far off. He is not a God that only has special relationships with specific people. He is a God that wants to be close to all of his people. I hear way too often, well, you know, pastor, I'm not a pastor. I don't know if I'm that. And it's like, there's no special, like, you know, place. You know, like, say, like, I, I don't, it's not because I have a pastor title that I'm somehow can draw closer to the Father than you. I want to make this very, very clear. God has called his people, his royal priesthood, his, his kingdom of priests, all of us, to be able to be people that can draw near to him and hear from him and have access to him. Not because of your own doing, not because of, of like, you know, how you look on Sundays or all of your good works that you might be listening up, but solely based off of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He made the way. He saved you. He did the work on the cross. He did everything necessary for his people to draw near to him. And I want to encourage you today, church, you don't have to be far off from God. You don't have to have a distant relationship with him. 
Your relationship isn't based on somebody else. It's not through me. It's not through a, through a priest. It's not through some religious person. It is through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has done everything for you to have access to the Father. And it breaks my heart when I see believers and churchgoers feeling discouraged in this area. Well, I don't know if I can really draw near to God. I, I don't know if God really wants to use me or speak to me. Or, you know, I, and it's like as you read the Scriptures, God's plan from beginning to end is to come near His people. And He has made a way. He has, he, has, he has made the perfect sacrifice. His blood covers your sins and my sins through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through good works so that no man can boast. It is solely through his son Jesus. And you have access to the Father. You can experience his peace and his joy and his revelation through his word. And I, I just want to encourage us, church, on this m Memorial Sunday, you can draw near to your God. You. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I've got this sin, and I, I kind of fall short oftentimes, Pastor, and I'm not, I'm not always doing everything right, and I don't always throw away your list of good deeds that you think you need and get focused on the Son. Tear up your good deeds list. God doesn't. <laughs> your good deeds are like filthy rags, God says. He has done everything for you and I to draw near to him. And I want to encourage you, church family, draw near to your God. He came for you, for you to be close with him. He can give you peace and assurance like nothing of this world can possibly offer. And all we have to do is just believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that as we believe and as we are his royal priesthood, his holy nation, he says, just proclaim who I am. Don't worry about trying to save this world as you encounter people. Proclaim who he is. Love them, encourage them, but proclaim who Christ is. And as you draw near, I do think that this kind of goes hand in hand. As people, as God's people draw near to him and experience him and know him and know his love and sacrifice he has made for them, it makes it a lot easier to proclaim who God is. Because you know him. You've spent time with him. You're close to him. You want to tell the world what he has done, how he has rescued you, how he has died on the cross for you and for the world to save the world from their sins. And I just encourage you this week in church family to draw near to him. I want to stand and pray for you this morning. And we're going to pray and we're going to end service. I want to pray over you and over me, and we're going to pray over the offering as we go. And, what, and then after prayer, I've got a couple of instructions for us. But let us pray. Father, you have done everything possible. You have made a way for your people to draw close to you. Father, help us to be men and women, children of you, your own possession, your treasured possession, your holy people, your kingdom of priests, as you call us. Father, help us to draw near to you in confidence, not based on ourselves, but based on your son, Jesus. Father, as we read your word, remind us that you desire to meet with us, that you desire to speak to us and lead us and guide us. Father, I praise you 
for how you love us and how you've done everything for us. Father, as we go today, Lord, I want to pray over our offering to you. Lord, we desire to see your kingdom continue to grow in Marquette County and around the world. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless over this offering as we go today. And God, we give you praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name.